0: from God this morning because I want to share with you this morning and I want to share something that's really on my heart and what's on our heart as a church here. And we today we're continuing our theme for the month and the theme is this, the power of everyone. We want to take a, a few weeks of the church just to look at areas of what make up our community, what makes our community what it is, some of the heart behind the culture that we're trying to create here. We've called this series The Power of of everyone. If you guys um, came in this morning and you didn't receive uh, outline notes, just stick your hand up. One of the Connect team will come and uh, give those to you. And I hope you follow on with what we're going to be talking about this morning as we look at this subject, the power of everyone. You know, we all know we can do more together than we can apart, right? There's you know, this old adage, you can always do more together than you can apart. We are in this together and we are better together. We are in this together and we wouldn't have it any other way here. You know, no organization, no company, no group, no team uh, can ever do all they set out to achieve, can never be all they want to be without the collective effort of what make up that group. They can't do what they want to do without the power of everyone. And it's no different here. This community here, we can't be all we could be without the collective effort of everyone here, without the power of everyone. You know, this church is a better place because of you. Each of you, everyone sitting here right now, this church is a better place because of you. And I want to say, when people hear that, I don't know, maybe it's because we're British or because we feel slightly reserved or we feel, I don't know what it is, but when people, when you hear the words like everyone or you might hear someone who's addressing a group use the word you, our instant reaction is to say, that's nah, probably not talking about me. You know, it's probably talking about. Everyone else, so you know, he's not directing this at me. Well, I want to, I want to just sort of correct your view this morning. I am talking about you. Turn to the person next to you. And say he's talking about you. This church is a better place because of you. This church is a better place because of you. And I just want you to know this morning that each of you plays a part. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the power of everyone. And I want to take a moment as well, just say if you're um, visiting us this morning, or maybe you've just been uh, with us for a short while, I want to say you're really welcome here at C3. You know, I trust you've been made to feel at home during the time you've been with us. And I'm hoping that this morning uh, will be a bit of a window for you, a little opportunity for you to see and hear a bit about what makes up what we do, a little bit of the heart behind what we do. And Hopefully, it's something where you can say, you know, actually, that's something that I want to be a part of. And we're just hoping that that can be an opportunity for you this morning. Um, Our community here is, of course, defined by our love for Jesus. We are consumed with his message, and that is central to all we do. That is our mission statement here as a church, to reach and to shape a generation with the message and cause of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. That's why you guys have got up this morning that's why you've come here to get to get today that's why we gather here to meet with other people and celebrate the gift that Jesus has given to us and to create a context for other people to come and see the gift that he has in store for them that's the main thing that is the main thing this morning and as we look at this topic of the power of everyone that's what makes up our everyone that is our common shared objective that's our ideal we are defined by our love for Jesus, and we want other people to know that. That's why our everyone exists. And I just want to take a moment to frame the discussion we're going to have this morning around this power of everyone by reading a story uh, that Jesus told during his life here on earth. And it's a story in Matthew 18. It's recorded for us in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 18. And we're going to read the story that Jesus tells about a shepherd uh, who loses a sheep And who goes in search of this sheep. And it's a great story because it really highlights the inclusive nature and the inclusive character of our God and his love for absolutely every last one of us. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew 18 verse 12. And it says this, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go go off and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? John, I've always loved this story. I've always loved this story because it paints the picture of an obsessive shepherd. Like a shepherd who's not content with almost everyone. He's not content with almost enough. He is obsessed with every last one. In fact, he notices that the flock isn't even complete without this one. thats He's obsessed with that one sheep. And I'm grateful this morning that we serve an obsessive God. So I'm grateful this morning that God wasn't content with all the people that had come to know him before I found him. And I'm grateful this morning that he's still not content with all the people that do know him. But in his limitless love and his unending grace, he wants to seek out people. And it's his will that no one should perish, but all should come to know him. And I'm grateful that this paints a picture of an obsessive shepherd in all the right ways. You see, it doesn't really matter how far we go from God. He wants to search for us. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. And I could spend all morning, indeed we could spend the whole series talking about God's desire for this one. God's desire for the individual, how, you know, he knows each of us by name and how he knew us before we were formed. And how he knows the numbers of hairs on our heads and he knows where we've come from and where we're going. And he still loves us. And he wants to know us. And more importantly, he wants us to know him. But this morning, I want to draw attention to something else in this story. You see, it's easy for us to read this story and focus on the main characters, the protagonists, which I would suggest to you are the shepherd and this one sheep. But actually, if we do that, we overlook um, a whole host of characters, almost the entire cast in this story. You see, there are 99 other characters in this story. The other 99 sheep are intrinsic to what make this story. You see, without this 99, uh, it's no longer the story of the lost sheep. It's just the story of a sheep. It's a story of a random sheep and a shepherd. But with the 99, it's the story of a lost sheep. Because without the 99, there's no reference from which the one could be lost. And without the 99, there's no home to which the one, when it's found, can return. And you see, that's just a completely different story without the 99. And it got me thinking, uh, when I'm sort of reflecting about the 99, about the wisdom of the shepherd. I started thinking about the wisdom. Of the shepherd. Now, I don't know if Jesus was posing, it's this one of those trick questions uh, that Jesus asked at the start of this story. But I, I probably would have failed Jesus' pop quiz here. Because it says, right, it starts with this question, doesn't it? What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them goes wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? What do you think? Well, do you know what I think? I, no, I wouldn't do that. I think that's a dumb move. Now, I better explain myself quickly, because most of us here accept that the shepherd is a symbolic reference to God. So if I'm questioning this wisdom of the shepherd, let me explain myself. I wouldn't do it, and I'm so glad that the shepherd isn't like me, but I wouldn't have done this. Because you see, to me, this looks like a very high-risk, low-reward move, right? He's got 99 sheep. This shepherd, he's a shepherd. This is his livelihood. And he's decided he's going to leave 99 sheep. That's 99% of his livelihood. If he was a businessman today, that would be 99% of his entire inventory and go in search of this 1%. Go in search of this 1%. And that seems to me not to be smart, right? Because what if he found the one and then he comes back and the 99 that he left were no longer 99, they were 50, or they were 30? You see, even if he was successful in finding the one, he would then have less than he started with. And that's why I was like, this doesn't seem like a smart move. Why would you do that? But then I realized something that I had not realized before as I looked at this story. And then I realized the shepherd had an implicit confidence in the 99. The shepherd had this implicit confidence in the 99. You see, the very danger that was posed to the sheep, the one sheep that had wandered off, was in its isolation. But the security of the 99 was in their community. It was in their togetherness. Now, you see, I'm no big wildlife buff, but I've watched enough David Attenborough shows in my time to know that when a predator attacks a group, it attacks the vulnerable. And the vulnerable one is normally the one that's been separated from the group. In fact, that's often the strategy that the predator takes, right? It tries to peel off someone, make them vulnerable, separate one from the group, and they attack The one. But the group, if it stays united, have a security. And it's actually, if if they stay together, then they are protected. And I just thought that's that's just a a really interesting um, sort of parallel there, how this shepherd must have had a confidence in the 99, a confidence they were going to stick together. And here's the key, right? The 99 sticking together was what created the context for the shepherd to go and search for the one. The 99 sticking together is what created the context for the shepherd to go in search of the one. And that's true of our community now, I believe. When we build a strong everyone, when we focus on the power of everyone, we create a context for reaching the one. The one who isn't here yet. Not only will it serve to strengthen ourselves and sort of help us to in our togetherness, but it will also create a place where when people meet Jesus, they can come and find their home. A place where people are together, a place where people are in it together, where they love each other, where they prefer one another, where they have each other's best interests at heart. In fact, the Bible tells us that the kind of community that we look to create will determine the reach that we have. The first in your notes from John 17 says this, Then they will be mature in this oneness... And give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and that you've loved them. You see, it's our togetherness. That people will look on and that's how they will know that God sent Jesus and Jesus loved us. It's in the community that we create. And that's our heart. We want to create the best context for reaching those who do not know Jesus yet. And allowing them to encounter him and accept him and start their life-changing journey with him. So how do we create this strong everyone? How do we create this strong community that sets the best context for going out and reaching the lost? Well, there's so many ways, I know. But I want to just draw our attention to just a couple of ways this morning in the short time we have about how we can strengthen and how we can best realize this power of everyone. The first thing is this. We need to assume the best. We need to be a people that assume the best. The blank in your notes says this our expectation will drive our experience our expectation will drive our experience and the same is true our expectations can limit our experience now i don't know if any of you guys have been enjoying the olympics when it was on i enjoyed the olympics i sat down with my little sit my little one year old on the sofa and so olympics we're going to watch the olympics and she loved it. She couldn't manage the O. It's like, Olympics. We're going to watch the Olympics. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. But there's something that stuck out to me as we were watching. And that was what the commentators were saying about the mental preparation that the athletes take before they enter an event. The kind of mental rigorous preparation that they take before they do what they're about to do. And it talked about how, of course, they have four y- solid years of physical training. But actually they devote a good portion of time to some mental training as well and they employ people whose full-time job it is to be sports psychologists and help them think about what they're going to do and focus the way they're going to do it. And they use this technique, which they said is called visualization, which is basically where the athlete will, will kind of try to filter everything out around them, the crowd, everything, and they will just go very sort of focused, and they will try and vividly imagine themselves achieving what they want to achieve, whether it's you know doing the right technique or... Beating everyone else, they would just vividly imagine what they're trying to set out to achieve. So much so, and it takes such a bit of, it takes a bit of a, a sort of dis- mental discipline to do this. So much so that when they start, that's their expectation. You see, they purposely raise their expectations in order to raise their performance. Why do they do that? Well, I think it's because if our expectations are not high, we can limit our experience. You know, you sow what you sow, you grow. If you think something's going to be great, you know, it could well be great. But if you think something's going to be really poor, it probably will be poor. And even if it's not poor, you'll probably perceive it as being poor. You know, Ephesians 3.20 says that our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So why would we set our expectations low? Why not set our expectations high and watch God do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine? We need to sort of assume the best. And the same is true with the way we interact with each other. We should assume the best in one another. It always amazes me how easily people are offended. You know, you might think, oh, sorry, we're Christians. Christians, even more so. It's so easily offended. I don't know what it might be, but it might be, oh, the worship was too loud. Someone sat in my chair or someone in the cafe didn't notice me. And it's so easy for us to get offended. But so often this is so completely unintentional. It's so unintentional. You know, I've never met anyone whose goal is to offend people. I've never met anyone who expects to offend people. Who don't? They don't get up in the morning and think about the ways in which they can go about offending people. I mean, maybe there are some people in here. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's you, you kind of get up in the morning, I think I'm going to be really offensive today. But for most of us, I think we don't get up in the morning and we, ex- we don't expect to be offensive. But I think I do know some people who live their life like they expect to be offended. They live their life like everyone's out to get them. And they filter every action through this filter of negativity. Like this this conspiracy theory that centers around them. But I want to tell you this morning, this might just be a bit of an ego check for some, and it's certainly for me, you know, people don't think about you as much as you think they do. You know, people just, people don't think about you as much as you think they do. They're not setting out to offend you. And we've got to assume the best. The truth is, the only person whose universe revolves around me is probably me. And that, should, that shouldn't even be the case, but we live in a society where our universes sort of revolve around ourselves, but the truth is, it's almost certainly not, not the case that somebody else's universe revolves around you. Um, They're just probably not even thinking about you as much as you might think they are. But the thing is, if we expect to be offended, we'll probably never be disappointed. We will always be offended. We will always be offended. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. It's exactly what the enemy wants. I heard a preacher say recently, the enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. We looked at that before with the predator and the prey. His tactic is offense. The enemy's goal is destruction, his strategy is division, his tactic is offense. You see, when we take offense too easily, we divide and we undermine the power of everyone. We've got to assume the best in each other. You see, a lot of this boils down to perspective. You know, the angle we view something at can completely change situation. You know, many of you, I'm sure you've seen those optical illusions, the angle you view something at can completely dramatically change the image you're viewing. Or sometimes a lot of our assumptions that cause us offence are because we don't have the full picture. It's because we don't have a complete picture. I mean, let me illustrate this with an example of how an incomplete picture could so easily cause offence. I mean, it was quite recently, a couple of months ago, a close friend of mine, uh, I arrived to church for my first friend of mine wearing a T-shirt I'd seen the web before. Uh, it's a really great T-shirt. It's, um, it's one of those T-shirts that has these sort of very simple, bold, thought-provoking statements on it. You know the ones. It's designed to make you think. And it's, it's by a charity whose uh, goal, uh, Hope for Justice, whose goal is to sort of end modern-day slavery in our time. And the, the T-shirt's great, and the work of the charity too great. And uh, the, the T-shirt's very simple. It has three words, one word per line, and it reads from top to bottom, no more slaves. No more slaves. Very simple. And I thought, that's a great sentiment. I love that t-shirt. That's brilliant. But this day was different. OK, so this day can only be described, in my view, as a wardrobe malfunction. I don't know how this happens. Um, but you know, I think this person needs to perhaps buy a mirror. We, we, jo- we joked about it afterwards. But I arrived this day, and it was a cold day. And this person decided they were going to wear a scarf. And some of you can see where we're going with this already. Um, It's very unfortunate because this scarf just sort of scooped down just enough to cover the first line of this t-shirt. And so the irony was I was welcomed here on a Sunday morning by this person, bright and bubbly, the person who embodies welcoming, they're so friendly. Hey, how are you doing? Welcome to church. And on their on their t-shirt, all I could see was more slaves. I know. Come on. That's not cool. You see, though, how that could be offensive. But can you also see how the offense has come from an incomplete picture? The picture wasn't complete. And you see, so often we take offense because we don't have the full picture. You know, we might feel someone rushed past us in the corridor, didn't pay us any attention, but maybe they had a reason to be rushing. Maybe we don't have the full picture. You know, we might feel that someone was a bit zoned out when we were trying to talk to them. Well, maybe that person's mind is somewhere else because they're having a real struggle at home or they've got a lot going on. You know, maybe people sort of drift off now and they'll sort of like fall asleep and I could stand here and think, oh man, that must be really boring. Or I could assume the best. I could think, well, maybe that person works nights or they've been up all night with a screaming baby. You see, when we have an incomplete picture, it's up to us. What we fill in the gap. We can either fill it in with malicious intent or we can assume the best. And almost every time we get offended, you know, the person who's offending us has absolutely no idea. Because the truth is, their thinking doesn't revolve around you as much as they think you, you think it does, right? They They just have no idea. There's this old adage which says, never attribute to malice what could easily be explained by ignorance. And the truth is, we all live our lives at occasion, ignorant of other people. And it's not because we're trying to hurt them. It's just we haven't thought about it. But if on the receiving side, we sort of complete that picture with malicious intent, we can get offended so, so easily. And when we, asp- and when we don't assume the best, we weaken the power of everyone. But when we assume the best, we strengthen the power of everyone. My second point is this. We've got to mix it up. We're gonna mix it up. We recently, uh, as a family, we we jumped on the uh, the health drink bandwagon. You know, my uh, wonderful wife, Rhiannon, has bought her, us, as a family, a smoothie maker. Anyone got a smoothie maker? It's crazy, crazy blenders. These are. The end not of any blender, right? You can chuck anything in this. This is a machine. Like she's throwing in whole apples, nectarines. She's throwing in like kale, spinach. She's throwing in blueberries, raspberries. You know, apricots. And it's amazing. You throw anything at this thing, and it just churns it up. Boom, liquid. Now I take a different view. I mean, I'm chucking in things like ice cream and whole Mars bars and peanut butter. Oh, you, you tell you what? It doubles up as an amazing milkshake maker. Like, that's the pro tip for you guys out there. Um, to be honest, though, like, it just makes me feel bad about myself, the healthy drinks. Like, she's having these healthy drinks, and I just feel really bad about myself. But the reason why I'm not into the healthy drinks that you make at home is, if you ever notice, it doesn't matter what you put in, it always comes out brown. I don't understand. It doesn't matter what you put in. We could put, like, a mixture of red berries in, and we get a brown drink. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm no food critic. I don't, I'm no connoisseur of smoothies. But there's something wholly unappetizing about a brown drink. It's just... It's not for me, but I do like smoothies, and in fact, I actually have one most days. Not because I, not because I feel like I need to be healthy, but the truth is, it's the most expensive drink you can get in the three-pound meal deal. So, so that's why I get one. I mean, maybe it's the Northerner in me, but I, I have to maximise that bargain. Right, you can take the boy out of the north, you cannot take the north out of the boy. So I was drinking my smoothie as I do most days. Uh, just the other weekend, uh, drinking my £2.48 Wonder Drink, feeling very proud of my economic achievement. And um, I was just looking at what goes into this thing, and mainly, why does it, why does it? not? T- how have they managed to not make it turn brown? Um, but there was loads of stuff in this, there was 74 blueberries, 5 blackberries, 3 apples, and a whole banana, all in 450ml bottle. And I said, the biggest achievement, it's not brown, and it tastes great. But... That wasn't, my, that wasn't really my point. The point is this. As I was reading this label, I saw something else. And this really struck me. It said, shake well, separation is natural. And that's the blank in your notes. Shake well, separation is natural. In other words, when the bottle is on the shelf, all these fruits start to separate out. But if you want to enjoy it, here's the really key bit. If you want to enjoy it as the creator intended you to enjoy it, You've got to mix it up. You've got to mix it up. And I thought, wow, what a picture of healthy community. You see, a healthy community has to be made up of all sorts of people from all ages and stages or cultures and backgrounds. But if we are going to enjoy that community, and particularly if we're going to enjoy that community in the way the creator intended it, we've got to mix it up. We have got to mix it up. And that doesn't happen on its own. I mean, I think there's some truth in this label where it says separation is natural. You know, we will naturally gravitate to people like us. We will naturally identify with other people in the same situation as ourselves. But here's the important point to take away. The church, the community of Jesus, isn't supposed to be natural. The community of Jesus is supposed to be supernatural. So separation may be natural. Do you know what's Supernatural. Unity through diversity. Unity through diversity. And supernatural doesn't mean it's spooky or it's scary. What it just means is it's beyond what's natural. It's above what's normal. So separation may be natural, but we as our community need to be above that. We need to be supernatural. We need to, uh, we need to have unity through our diversity. And this is one of the things I think that unlocks the power of everyone. And most importantly... I think it creates that context, like those 99 sheep. I think it creates the context for reaching the one when we mix it up. And let me explain why. I don't know how many of you can remember the last time that you were new somewhere. I mean, maybe some of you in this church, that's a long time ago. But maybe you've been new in a different context. Maybe you joined a sports team. Maybe you joined another group outside of here. But maybe just try and think about the last time that you were new. I mean, for me, this is quite recently. I've recently started a new job, so I know exactly what it's like to be the new guy. Quite recently, I've, I've become the new guy. And it's quite a daunting experience. It's always a daunting experience to be the new person. I mean, I just arrive, you, want, you tend to arrive to a pre-established order. So, I mean, I arrive in my new job, and there's this this group of people over here. This is team A, and they do function one. And this is team B, and they do this function two. And there's this other team over here. They don't talk to these two teams because they've got their own thing going on. Uh, They go out for lunch together. You don't want to talk to them because they're a bit weird. And, you know, you've got all these different areas. And, you know, the question it leaves me with instantly, and I'm sure I'm not the only one when put in this situation, the question I want to answer straight away as quickly as possible is where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? And when I see all these groups, I need to ask ask that question to myself. Where do I fit in? Where can I fit in this? You see, the same is true here. When we separate out according to our differences, it leaves people with that question. Where do I fit in? But when we come together, something else is highlighted. And that's our similarities. You see... When we separate out into our differences, by according to our differences, our differences are highlighted. But when we come together, when we mix it up, our common ground becomes apparent. And our common ground is all the same. Because for us, what unites us is Jesus. In Galatians, it says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. You are all one in what? The way you dress? The way you speak, the people you hang out with, your age. No, we are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, when we operate about at this supernatural level, this above natural, we don't allow us to separate out. We choose to mix things up. We we just remove the question for people. They don't have to think, where do I fit in? It's obvious because everyone's in the same boat. There's only one place for you to fit in, and that's in everyone. And it, when we separate out, we draw attention away from what unites us, and that's Jesus. If we want to see the power of everyone, we've got to shake it up. Third point is this. We've got to be in it together. We all know that life doesn't always go according to plan. I mean, I'm a planner. I like to dot every I and cross every T. I like to know exactly where I'm going. I think it's probably because I I, I guess I like to be in control. It's not probably a good thing, but I really like to plan things. But, you know, you can't plan for everything. And occasionally you're going to have struggles. And the truth is that bad things don't just happen to bad people. We're all going to have struggles. It's just part of life. But this is where the power of everyone can shine through. Because we don't have to do this on our own. We need to be in it together. You see, you must follow Christ for yourself. But you needn't follow Christ by yourself. We must always get to the point where we follow Christ for ourselves, but you can't or you need to follow Christ by yourself. We all need support of someone. We all need someone at some point or another. At some points, we'll need them to a greater extent, at some point, to a lesser extent. But the point is, we shouldn't feel like we have to get it together in order to belong. We just need to be in it together. And the Bible says this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, it says, but God put together the body, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division. We've looked at that already in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. We are in this together together. We share the struggles. And, you know, this is something that I'm working on personally. You see, I've, I've got many flaws. You know, not only am I a planner. I'm, I'm a problem solver. I like to solve people's problems. Um, I don't think it's because I'm a nosy person or it's because I'm a busybody, or a know-it-all. I think it's just that's my way of reacting. It's my way of coping. When I see someone I care about who's struggling, my instant reaction is, how do I fix this? How can I fix you? So if I see someone I care about and they're going through some problem, my instant reaction is to go up to them and analyze them and say, hey, you, right, I've analyzed your situation. This is why you got to where you are from where you were, and this is the problem you're in right now, and here's your three-step program to getting out the other end. That's what I do. But you know what? That's so not what people need when they're struggling. And the truth is, I know that. I mean, I, I know I'm a hypocrite because when I go through struggles, that's not what I want. It's not what I want. It's just my natural reaction when I see someone struggling because I want to fix it. But the truth is, what people really need is someone to walk with them. Someone to share in the struggle. You know the most powerful two words you can hear when you're struggling from someone else? is Me too. Someone who to come alongside you. Understand what you're feeling. Not just hear you and kind of analyze you, but feel it with you. And I'm trying to learn this. And the more and more I see it as I go on, I can see this. If you share in the struggle, you share in the win. If you share the struggle, you share the win. If you share in the battle, you share in the victory. And if you share in someone's sorrow, you get to share so much more in the joy. You see, we are in this together. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what hardship comes upon you. This is a place where you don't need to get it together. You just need to be in it together. There are people who want to just be, walk alongside you. They want to support you as best as they are able. And I want to say if you're here this morning and you are struggling, this is the right place for you. I don't want you to ever think, I'm struggling I need to go somewhere else. You need to stay here. This is the best place for you. We are in this together and that's the power of everyone. As we draw things to a close now and the musicians can join us on stage, I just want to leave us with this final thought and it It takes us right back to the start of this message when we were talking about the power of everyone. And that's, we've got to remember the one. That's the blank there in your notes. Remember the one. See, that's what this is all about. Like those 99 sheep, we are creating a strong everyone. Not just for ourselves, but to create the context to go and find the one. To create a context for those who don't yet know Jesus. I mean, it's easy for us to become wrapped up in ourselves. You know, and focus on our everyone. But we must never, ever forget that we were once on the outside, right? We were once on the outside. And by his limitless love and unfathomable grace, he chose us. He rescued us. And he started this journey with us, and he brought us from where we are to from where we were to where we are now. And he's going to be part of where we are now to where we're going. And the truth is, we've got to not fall into this trap of feeling like, okay, we've got it all together now. Because the truth is, we're all still on a journey. And it's the journey that unites us. We're all messed up and broken people. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you can praise God that you're not quite as messed up and broken as you once were, but the truth is we are all still messed up and broken people, and we all need a Savior. And when we remember that, that that's the common ground on which we stand, I just wonder, how can we not get passionate about those people who have not met Jesus yet? You see, this is not about us. This is not about us, this power of everyone. Now we're part of the everyone. It's to find concern for the one is to find concern for those people who have not yet found him. We need to remind ourselves that church is not a citadel for people who feel like they have it together. It's supposed to be a hospital, like an emergency room for people who recognize their brokenness, their imperfections, and the fact that they need a savior. It says in Romans, we're all on the same plate, we're all in the same boat, really. It says, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We all need him. We all need Jesus. And I want to take these last few moments we have now, this one, to give an opportunity. Because some of you, when we're talking about the 99 and the 1, you might identify yourself more closely with that one sheep. You know, maybe you've never known what it's like to be part of the everyone. Maybe you've never known what it's been like to be a part of that community. Maybe you've never chosen to accept Jesus as Lord and leader of your life. Well, there's going to be opportunity for you to change that today, for you to have a pivot point, for you to decide today, I want to identify myself as being found, no longer lost. Or perhaps you're like the sheep that was once part of the everyone, but you wandered off. You wandered off. Well, I want to tell you the good news Someone's come searching for you. Our God has come searching for you. And it doesn't matter how far you feel you might have wandered, God's arm is never too short to reach you where you are. And He has been searching for you. He would abandon all. That shepherd abandoned all in search of the one. He would give His life. Indeed, He gave the life of His one and only Son so that you could be reconciled to Him, for you to know Him as King, and for you to know Him as Lord. Joe, you know, we're gonna sing a song now. As the musicians lead us in this song, it's, it's a narrative about the work that Jesus has done for us. It's a narrative about what He's done for us and the work that He's done on the cross and the price He's paid for us. And then it ends with, Oh Lord my God, a declaration. For many of us, this will be a reminder, it will be a declaration for us to join together, remind ourselves of what he's done for us, and to join together and declare him as Lord and King. But for some of us, this will be different, this will be like something we need to do, this will be something that we need to do maybe for the first time, or maybe as an opportunity to say, do you know what, I have wandered off, but today I want to be found again, I want to align myself, I want to become a part of that everyone that really is defined under the one banner, the name of Jesus so after we sung this song, I'll give you an opportunity for you to respond here this morning and identify yourself in that way, if that's for you this morning. But before we do that, why don't we just stand? Why don't we lift up the name of Jesus and remind ourselves what he's done for us with this wonderful song? It's not a complicated process. It's just an opportunity for you to say, "I want to declare him as Lord and leader. I want to submit my life to Jesus." And it's quite simple. What we're going to do in a moment, we're all going to pray a prayer, and we're going to pray it together because that is the power of everyone when we join together and we declare our love, recommit to him. We give other people the confidence do the same. Maybe for the first time. Maybe as a way of coming back and aligning themselves again. But I want to say to you this morning if that's you, if you would say I need to be found again this morning or maybe I've just been lost this whole time and I want to be found this morning we're going to pray a prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that just recognizes that we're messed up and broken people, that we're not perfect and that we need a saviour. And it's a prayer that makes Jesus Lord and leader is it just a decision that you make and we believe that it's the start of the most amazing journey you could ever take so we're going to pray a prayer in a minute and what we're going to do is I'm going to pray this prayer and everyone's going to join with us, we're going to pray this together and then afterwards I want us to do something by way of response if it's you and you're saying you know I need to be found again this morning or I've been lost this whole time we am going to ask you to do something very simple although it's very bold And it's to make an outward declaration of what's going on inside. And that's just to shoot your hand up. You know, no one around is going to be paying attention, uh, but there will be a Connect team member who just wants to give you something and help you, resource you in that decision and place something in your hands. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer and then I'm going to ask if that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air. So let's pray this prayer together. Why don't we close our eyes and pray together. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm not perfect and I realize that I need you I'm sorry for going my own way for wandering off today I want to be found by you thank you for dying for me for all the wrong that I've done and all the wrong that I'll ever do today I choose to accept your forgiveness and make you Lord and leader of my life. Thank you for accepting me now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, if that's you, just while everyone's eyes are closed, and you want to say, that was me, I want to be found again this morning, well, I want you to be bold, why don't you just shoot your hand up in the air, and the connecting will come and give something to you, and I support you in your decision. Thank you, thank you. Hands going up, guys. Thank you. Thank you. This is one of the best decisions you could ever make. You're going to join together now with an everyone who unite under the banner of Jesus, who recognize what he did for you. I'm going to pray for us all as we close. Father God, I thank you for the power of everyone. Lord, I thank you Well, the power of everyone. is really all wrapped up in the work of one, the work that you did for us And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for these people who have made this decision today to come and be found by you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would quickly become part of the everyone, that they would quickly recognize their full potential and your plan for their life as part of your plan for the world. And Lord, I just pray that they would start to have concern for the other ones, the ones that have yet to come in. And Lord, the fact that you've brought them to this point today, Lord, will just be the starting point of an amazing and incredible journey with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, why don't we just ring the song again? Why don't we declare Jesus as Lord of our life. What's
1: While we're in the worship, I I really felt there's someone here and you, there's something wrong with your kneecaps. I don't know what it is exactly, but I just want to encourage you to come for prayer this morning. Someone else, I, f- I believe this week you found out that you've got some kind of heart condition and it is bothering you. I want to encourage you to come for prayer because we believe in a God who hears us and who answers us. Amen. So I want to encourage you Come forward for prayer. The prayer team are here and they will, they will pray with you. If you're new today, then please head over to our Connect table. We'd love to uh, give you our C3 coffee cup and fill it with the coffee of your choice. And let's just take, you know, we'd love you to join us for coffee, whether you're new or whether you've been part of us for many, many years. Have a great morning, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time. God bless. Bye bye. <laughs>